everyone. Welcome back to our second episode of Chop Wood, Carry Water with me, Jessica Craven, your activist host, uh, not a professional pundit, not a political scientist, just somebody who is out there every single day doing stuff that needs to get done um, in order to build a better democracy and hoping that you will join me. So very glad to be here. Very grateful for those of you who tuned in last week. It was great to hear wonderful comments and questions, and I will get to a couple of those later. This episode is going to be a little shorter. The goal is for this podcast to be about 15 or 20 minutes because you've got stuff to do, and so do I. And this is this is a doing-based podcast, not a listening-based podcast, as, as I was just saying to my producer. So... Uh, what I like to do is start out with a section of gratitude because I believe very strongly that what we focus on grows. And if we're always focusing on the bad news, we will forget to notice the good news. And then the bad news will feel like it's just snowballing on us. So you ready? We are going to do our little intro music to our gratitude section. Here it is. And then we will have our gratitude. Okay, so just a couple of little things. This won't take long, but again, let's really try to focus on where we are building. I want to express gratitude for the fact that Javier Becerra got confirmed last week for Secretary of Health and Human Services. That was somebody the Republicans were really determined uh, to try to torpedo that nomination if they could. They wanted to stop somebody, you know, he's a person of color. He's a, a, you know, what they consider to be a super liberal and very strong on uh, abortion rights. They don't like that. So they were hoping to tank that nomination and they didn't. So bravo. That is wonderful. I would also like to say how wonderful it is that the House passed an immigration bill finally that would give a path to citizenship for dreamers. This is a really big deal. Think about the lives that are affected by this. Now, hasn't passed in the Senate yet, but uh, we can we can hope that it will. But let's just celebrate this first step in the process. The same bill also uh, would provide a pathway to citizenship for roughly one million farm workers. That is incredible. That is justice. It's wonderful. So yay. Okay, our next little bit of gratitude is uh, in Virginia, where our Democratic Governor Ralph Northam has signed an executive order restoring voter rights to over 69,000 people with previous felony convictions. This is a big deal. This is something that most other countries would not consider taking, sorry, let me be clear, taking voting rights away from people in prison is not something that most countries do. It is something that our country does. And then a lot of the times in lots of states, those felony convictions bar people from voting for life. Uh, Florida was that way for a very long time. So this is a really big deal. And we're going to celebrate these little voting rights victories where we find them, especially during a time when they are under so much attack. So good for Governor Northam and good for Virginia. Another bit of really good news from last week is Diane Feinstein, who happens to be my senator here in the great state of California, said on Friday... And this did not get as much attention as I thought it should, that she is open to reforming the filibuster. 
if the Republican Party keeps obstructing. Now, this is a big deal. And as an activist, I am proud of this because we have worked very hard to get to this point. Those of you who follow me on TikTok or subscribe to my newsletter know that we did a big postcard uh, drop a couple of weeks ago where we asked her to be willing to reform the filibuster. We have called and called and called. And for a long time, she was one of those senators who this was just not going to happen. She was never going to change her mind. And I say this now because when people say, oh, Kirsten Cinema." You know, she'll never budge on the filibuster. Joe Manchin, he'll never budge. We just can't say never because Dianne Feinstein was pretty much never going to budge and she's budging. Now, you know, there's still work to do. But again, what we focus on grows. So let's focus on these wins. This is great. And in Georgia, you know, this is a semi-gratitude. This is gratitude with a grain of salt. We are continuing to fight some very severe voter suppression bills. That's the bad news. The good news is, is that our calls to corporations to stand up against this voter suppression, and these are corporations that are based in the state. I talked about this last week. Delta, Coca-Cola, Aflac. So these calls and the full-page ads that Stacey Abrams and her people are taking out, calling out these corporations for not standing up more against these bills, these are starting to work. And the Republican legislators have taken out some of the worst stuff from their bill packages. For example, they were trying to get rid of no-excuse absentee voting, right? So you needed to have a reason to absentee vote. You just couldn't do it because you wanted to absentee vote. They've taken that out. So this is progress, and I choose to focus on it because, you know, progress is good. We still have work to do to stop those bills. And then the last thing I will share from uh, the gratitude section here is a, is a little bit of a message I got from a new activist. This is someone who follows me on TikTok. And I want to share these stories because I love to see people becoming empowered with their little tiny activism actions. This makes me so happy to see anyone who lives in this country wake up to the fact that they've got a little voice and that they can influence their lawmakers. So, Karen, who is from South Carolina, messaged me a few days ago to tell me with great jubilation that she had been muted by her congressman, Jeff Duncan. He's, uh, you know, um, not one of the not one of the great um, shining lights in our democracy. He muted her on Facebook. She said, I've been critical, but never abusive or harassing. P.S. This is what I always recommend. We are never abusive or harassing, but we can be critical. She stated the facts as she saw them, and uh, and he muted her. She says, I must say I'm kind of flattered that my voice is being heard. And then she goes on to say really nicely, I have you to thank for that. You've taught me how to contact and put pressure on my representatives. And I think that is so wonderful because everyone that I know who has had that moment for the first time where they sort of realize like, hey, I can make a difference. I called on this bill and, and now my congress member has changed their... Uh, their stance on it, or I called and and they're listening to me, or they're going to have a town hall now when before they weren't, or whatever it is. This is a moment of great personal empowerment, and it sort of connects our personal power to our political power, and I love to see it. So good for you, Karen. And anyone else who has a moment like that, I would love to hear about it. I, myself, my sort of 
activism moment of grace last week was phone banking into Louisiana for uh, the election that I talked about last week. I will talk about the results of that a little bit later on. But, you know, I talked to so many wonderful people, including a woman who was recovering from brain cancer and who needed a wheelchair but was still committed to getting out and voting on Saturday. Her sister was going to drive her in their van. And people like that, it's just one phone call and one voter. But it is so meaningful to remember that behind every, you know, voter that we hear about in the election results, there is a person and a human with a story who made an effort to get out there and cast that vote. So that's beautiful. So those are the weekly gratitudes. And I hope that if you can think of any that I can include next week, you will send them to me. I'll give you an email address at the end of the podcast. But I love to hear these stories, and I love to live these stories, and I, th- I think you will too. Okay, we're going to move on to our next section. This is the Ledge 101 section where we talk about a bill that is up this week. And here we go, Ledge 101, because I know that not everybody knows every single bill that is up for a vote in Congress right now. And we can't know all of them. There are so many. So every week I like to highlight one or two that are important, that are up, and uh, and sort of talk about what's happening with it. And the bill I'm going to focus on this week is uh, H.R. 1620. That sounds really uh, numeric and boring, right? But it's called the Violence Against Women Act. And this is actually a reauthorization. And what I want to celebrate first is that the House passed it uh, last week. This is good news. They have reauthorized the Violence Against Women Act, which by its name sounds like it should be a no-brainer, right? But actually, uh, lots and lots of Republicans voted against it, 172 Now, this is a bill that basically enshrines legal protections for women who have experienced domestic and sexual violence. And it was passed for the first time in 1994. Actually, uh, it was then introduced by then-Senator Joe Biden. And it's been updated and reauthorized many, many times since, right? It's, It's almost pro forma that this just gets reauthorized. But during the Trump years, of course, with a GOP Senate, it was not. Right. So it was left to stagnate, which is a real shame, a real uh, a travesty, you know, for, for women who depend on these uh, provisions. Now, the provisions that were already in the bill from its previous reauthorization, stay with me, those were funded despite the fact that Congress could not actually officially get the bill reauthorized. But there are additions that we have been trying to get passed for years. And that is what this current version, the one that just got passed in the House, contains. And the most exciting addition, for those of us who have been working in the gun violence prevention field for a long time, is the closing of a little loophole called the boyfriend loophole. Yep, it is actually called the boyfriend loophole. And what the boyfriend loophole does is it, it it's a this is about firearms purchases this basically will um it will it will bar anyone convicted of stalking or domestic abuse from being able to purchase a firearm right it sounds very straightforward at the moment this restriction only applies to intimate partners who are a spouse or who live with or who have children with the victim so if you are a boyfriend and maybe you don't live in, in your you know girlfriend's apartment, but you're there all the time. I, I personally know a situation like this. Uh, and you own a gun. There's no problem with that. They can, they can purchase and possess guns even if they have been convicted of abuse 
or are under a restraining order for abusing a dating partner. So this loophole needs to be closed. This particular reauthorization would close it. And now it is going to the Senate, where Senate Republicans have said that that provision, closing the boyfriend loophole to protect women who are in relationships with abusive partners who they don't live with, don't have kids with, aren't married to, the Republicans don't like it. They say it's a problem and that that is going to hang them up from passing this entire bill, which protects women in so many ways it would take me an hour to list them all. So uh, just a couple of statistics to uh, burn your uh, brain a little bit. Every month, an average of 53 women are shot and killed by an intimate partner. Uh, Nearly one million women alive today have reported being shot or shot at by intimate partners. The presence of a gun in a domestic violence situation increases the risk of homicide by 500 percent, right? 19 percent of domestic violence involves a weapon. I could go on and on. The fact that our Republican senators are refusing to get behind this bill is shameful. So your call of the week, P.S., I would still like it if you would call about S-1, the For the People Act, which we talked about last week because we have to call about that every day. But you can add... I also want to call the senator to say that I support a quick reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act. And I want the provision that closes the boyfriend loophole kept in it. You can add, if you want to, don't put the NRA above women's lives. And then we always say thank you. And uh, that's your script for the week. Of course, if you subscribe to my newsletter, you will get many more. Um, But I feel really strongly about this. It's time for us to speak up very loudly in defense of women uh, and and this act getting reauthorized. Okay, so that is our Ledge 101 of the week. Let's go on to election news. This is perhaps my favorite section. We're going to talk about elections that have just happened and then a couple that are coming up. Because why? Because the other side is always paying attention to every election. So if we don't, it is at our peril. You know what I read this week? I read that there are over 520,000 elected offices in the United States. Shockingly, Democrats aren't even competing in up to 75% of those. So the GOP is just basically steamrolling their way to power, and they have for a while all across the country because Democrats don't even get in and fight. Now, I say that in preface to the news. I'm going to give you about last week's election. It was actually on Saturday. Candy Kristoff, I talked about this. She ran for a seat, a congressional seat in Louisiana in a district that technically had more Democrats than Republicans. So I did a bunch of phone banking for it, as I said, which I love. I love so much. And uh, the election was on Saturday, and Candy Candy lost. She lost to the Republican uh, candidate, who was actually the the former um, congressman's widow. He died of COVID. She won. Best of luck to her, and congratulations. We're going to talk about our Democrat, Candy Kristoff, for just a second. I just want to say one thing here, because we know that Democrats really suck at turnout, right? Turnout was really abysmal in this race. There are just under 500,000 eligible voters in the district and just over 100,000 voted. So it was a 21.2% turnout. So you see, it wasn't that we didn't have the voters. It was that the voters didn't vote. And that is work we have to continue to do. 
And I hope you will do it with me. Because when we vote, we win. It is getting people to vote that is so often the issue. Yeah, this was a really red district. Even so, 21% turnout is really bad, right? We got to get it up. So the good news is there is another election coming up almost straight away. A couple, actually, in Wisconsin on April 6th. And this is what I'm going to start phone banking for next. I hope some of you will join me. Wisconsin has actually really incredibly important spring elections. Uh, They are the first under the Biden administration. On the ballot, we have state superintendent of public instruction. I know that does not sound sexy, but this is actually a very important seat and all down ballot races are important. Now, somebody who listened to this podcast last week got in touch with me and said, Jessica, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I don't know what down ballot means. And I was so grateful she said that because I forget, you know, I live in this world all the time. I think about this 24-7, but not everybody does. And that is as it should be. We cannot all be obsessed with politics all the time. You are busy living your lives. But what down-ballot races are, are the races that typically are underneath the sort of big, the big ones, right? Like Congress, Senate, President, those are typically your your up-ballot races. Down-ballot is going to be your superintendents of public instruction. It's going to be your board of supervisors, your school board, your mayors, your judges, your city and town council. And these are elections that Democrats historically and particularly over the last 15 years or so have not paid good attention to, while Republicans have paid excessive attention to them. And the reason that is is because they know that there is so much power to be amassed in these Seats and and the, these especially state level seats are incredibly important. You know, your state legislatures are the ones making decisions about everything from environment to uh, women's health issues to education to redistricting and, and deciding where the congressional districts are going to be. I could go on gun violence, um, racial justice, criminal justice reform. It's all happening on a state level. So Republicans have known this and they've put amazing amounts of money and time into winning these seats. It is our job now. We have learned after Trump and everything that happened. And also we can learn from the fact that Republicans uh, control, I believe it is 32 state governments because they have paid this much attention. And this is how we have these horrible voter suppression bills moving through those legislatures. We have to take those states back and we have to take all of those down ballot seats back in Wisconsin. We're starting with this state superintendent of public instruction race. The candidate's name is Jill Underly. And I want to tell you that Wisconsin is a phenomenal state to volunteer in because their party, the state party, is run by Ben Wickler, who is a miracle worker and has done incredible work with the the teams on the ground and the grassroots organizations on the ground. They are organized. They are on top of it. They flipped Wisconsin in November, right? They are doing phenomenal work. And if we want to beat people like their horrible Senator Ron Johnson in 2022, we start working now on these down-ballot races. So I hope you've been convinced by this little, you know, monologue and that you will consider signing up with Wisconsin Democrats to do some of this phone banking. They will train you. You will be talking to Democrats and just giving them the information they need to vote, because guess what? It's not easy to vote in Wisconsin. The Republicans have made sure of that. So you can sign up 
at wisconsindemocrats.org, I believe, wisdems.org. You can Google it. Um, But this is one way that we can help, and that is what I will be doing. There is also a runoff in Louisiana for Board of Elementary and Secondary Education. We did get a Democrat into the runoff. Her name is Dr. Cassie Williams. That is going to be a great race, and that race is on April 24th. So we've got April 6th and April 24th. We'll be talking about these races. And I also want you to multitask and, in your minds, be thinking about the fact that in 2022, we have congressional races coming up. We have big work to do, and that work starts now. So we don't wait until six months before the midterms to start working on those races. We work on these small races now, and we build our power. Okay, that is all I'm going to say today because I want to keep this short, and I want you to go out there into the world and start taking action and chopping wood and carrying water and changing this country for the better. Thank you for listening to me, and thank you for caring enough about this country and about our democracy to be here today. I am so proud of you. I am so grateful to be walking this road with you. And I cannot wait to be back with you next week. If you have questions, anything you want to say at all, you can email chopwoodcarrywaterpod at gmail.com. And if you want to go to my link tree where you can find pretty much everything else about me, stuff I do, things I'm talking about, you can go to bit.ly Jess page. It's just B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash Jess page. All right. I am sending hugs from afar and uh, I will talk to you next week. Have a great, great Monday. We're invincible.